Welcome, everyone, to the seventh episode of Hot Takes from the Berg. I'm your host, Jason Michener, alongside my brand-new co-host, Ian Hatcher. How you doing, man? I'm doing good. Really happy to be uh, be watching basketball this last week, and, it, you know, it feels so right. It's a little – it's not really the time of year we usually get this, but, um, you know, I'm here for some summer basketball. No, no, it's not. It's usually over early, early summer. This is usually like baseball going into football season, but basketball is hot right now. There's so much happening, and I'm excited to talk about this with you, Ian. Let's just get right into it. So today we're just going to be going over uh, what teams we really think have a shot, uh, going over records, going over how players have played in the bubble, um, give a few talking points, and... Yeah, et cetera, et cetera. Let's uh, let's start off with the Western Conference with the Los Angeles Lakers. Um, right now, fifty-one and eighteen, but they are two and three in the bubble, which is a little scary considering the teams they've played. It hasn't been the most difficult. They did just take a loss last night to the Indiana Pacers, and in, I believe an overtime game. Yes. And they, this is how I feel about the Lakers. I feel like, you know, they came in with the one seed, you know, they're led by LeBron and LeBron is, I don't know anybody that would argue he's the smartest man in basketball. And I think he's kind of in everybody's ear, just, you know, wanting to, he's already seen what, you know, injuries and the Avery Bradley opt out has, you know, kind of done to their backcourt. And I think that he just wants to get into the playoffs healthy. And I really – I think that they haven't looked good on offense at points in times with their full starting lineup on the court, which is a little scary. But also at the same time, I, you know, I think this is some LeBron James kind of mind tricks. You know, not – he doesn't want to show his hand too early. You know, I think they're saving some things for the playoffs. But if I was a Lakers fan, I would definitely be worried because, you know, some of their their defense has looked rough at times. And offensively – it, you can tell it really hurts not having, you know, a capable point guard like Rondo be able to come in and just run the show when LeBron isn't on the court. So they have looked a little lost on both ends of the court, which is a little scary. I think it's very scary seeing Anthony Davis struggle a little bit. He's already had two games in the single digits in the bubble, which is not the greatest. Yeah. And one of them, of course, against Los Angeles – or not against Indiana, and then another one against OKC. Two not very great defensive front courts. Yes, OKC has Stephen Adams, but they have Danilo Gallinari and Nerlens Noel. Yeah, it should have been a that Thunder game should have been a game where he feasted. We played, I think, the night before they played, or a couple nights before they played the Nuggets, and Kevin Porter Jr. got every shot he wanted against the Thunder in their front court because their front court. Other than really Noel and Adams, who are, you know, traditional center kind of bangers, Gallinari can't really can't really guard you. And then after that, they have Darius Baisley, a rookie. So, I mean, Porter Jr. was feasting. And the fact that Anthony Davis couldn't do something similar did, you know, kind of, kind of raise some eyebrows. But then he drops 42 against Rudy Gobert. That's, that's what really, really confuses me there. Yeah, I, I think, you know, I think he'll be ready to come playoff time. But it is 
very unusual to see him struggle. I can't remember, you know, Anthony Davis posting, you know, less than 10 points in a single game all season, let alone let it come twice in, what, five games? And another thing with AD is he's never had an, an actual playoff run being with the Pelicans most of his career, first-round exits. It's, I'm curious to see what he'll do in a conference final series or even a final series, if he'll be able to handle the pressure. Granted, it's not going to be home court advantage or you're being away. It's not going to be crowds, but it's still going to be difficult. Yeah, I think um, – and that's another – part where I think LeBron will kind of come into it you know you have to do it all on your own but also I I mean I don't think there's anybody better to have you know on your sideline to get to go to talk to every time out every break you know than LeBron to just you know keep you level-headed he's been there before you know he he knows every single part about the game just you know as long as Anthony Davis is accepting and willing to you know hear, hear it out from hear the advice out from LeBron I think that they'll be in a good spot. All right, now moving on to the Los Angeles Clippers. Um, Paul George is the biggest question here. Yeah. Um, They're 47-22, and 3-2 and two in the bubble. They've already beaten the Lakers. They played them the first game, and they won. Wait, no, that was a different – no, they lost by two? Yeah, they lost in like the first game. But with them not having guys like Patrick Beverly and Montrez, that's not a huge deficit. Yeah, and also at the time, they still didn't have Lou Williams either. Um, and they continue to kind of, you know, treat Kawhi Leonard like he's a newborn baby, even when he gets his full, you know, uh, availability for a game. It seems like he still only plays 30 minutes. Uh, you know, trying to just keep him fresh for the playoffs. But um, Paul George was, from that game on, has been, you know, the the bright spot for this Clippers team in the bubble so far. And I have watched a lot of Paul George in my day, and I've learned, you know, one thing about this guy is that he'll go through an entire season, and you'll see, you know, he he'll always be – a really good player, but it's just like these certain times of the year. I don't know. It's like no rhyme or reason about when it comes. He just goes to another level. And right now he is on that other level. And the last couple times I've seen him get to this zone, it lasted for a while. So if he can carry this into the playoffs, the Clippers will be very scary because Paul George is playing like his, like he's the hottest shooter in the game right now almost. I'm just ter- I'm just scared to see if it's going to be another case like last year with OKC, him coming yeah. off playing like an MVP going to that first round, that shoulder injury. I'm hoping that doesn't come back to bite him. Granted, yeah, he does have a much better teammate in Kawhi Leonard over Westbrook this year and a, and a supporting cast around him. But that shoulder injury is still very scary. Yeah, I, you could definitely tell last year in the um, in the first round that that was bothering him. And I I think, you know, at this point now that we're seeing him, you know, kind of get back into that rhythm, that it's safe to say that, you know, for right now it's not bothering him as much. But I think, you know, a part about injuries that often goes overlooked is the mental part. You know, all it takes is, you know, one 
you know, weird instance where, you know, you kind of land on that shoulder funny and, you know, it's, it's a mental game, you know, things start popping in your head, is my shoulder good, it kind of sore, you know, that could be something that could really derail him right now, but, um, you know, I'm not going to wish an injury on anybody, and I think if he keeps this up, he's, the Clippers look very scary. Another thing, this, this team's depth is insane. Yeah. You have a starting lineup of Patrick Beverly, Behold George, Kawhi Leonard, Marcus Morris, and, and, uh, Ivaka Zubak, but then off the bench you have Reggie Jackson, Lou Will, and Montrezl Harrell. Yeah, and I mean also role guys in Landry Shamich, Michael Green. I mean they just and the thing that I like about their second unit is they love to come in and play defense just as much as the first unit does. <laughs> you know, you're not really getting a break anywhere. So maybe their depth will be the key factor of if it's Lakers versus Clippers in a, in a series, that might be the key thing over over the Lakers because they don't really have a depth. They don't have much depth. They don't have Rondo. They don't have Avery Bradley. Yeah, Those are their think, two good guards off the bench, and they're both not here. Yeah, I think for the Lakers, it'll it's going to take some a couple players to just really step up for them. And I think they have – players that are capable of doing it it just is going to happen you know it's going to come down to whether we see it happen like Kyle Kuzma needs to be lights out he has to remember that he was the only person that wasn't involved in the AD trade and the players that the Pelicans got for that looked pretty good is did it what did it come down to the Pelicans didn't want Kuzma did it come down to the Lakers were keeping him untouchable I don't know but he needs to he needs to play up to what I think his potential is. And he's been good in the bubble, but he's going to have to really knock down shots in the playoffs. And, you know, players like Dwight Howard is going to have to step up. It's going to be a full team effort to take down the, the Clippers team. All right, moving on to the Denver Nuggets. 46-24, uh, and 3-2 in the bubble. They've had a very – I think it's, they've had a very good run in this bubble. Michael Porter Jr. is an absolute <laughs> manimal right now. He absolutely is. And I'm going to let you cover most of the Nuggets. This is a team that you were very high on in our first podcast. And I was high on them, but I didn't show them, you know, as much love. And I thought it, a lot of it would come down to how they would use their players, specifically Michael Porter Jr. And you, I hit it on the head. They, he is unleashed right now. So go ahead. Like the thing with MPJ, like, yes, he's coming off a back injury still. And that, that's a scary thing for any basketball player that can, it was a herniated disc that can ruin your career. But the three games he's played in this bubble, 30, 27, and 23, all against pretty decent teams, San Antonio, Portland, and Utah. That's the insane part. It's not against lower end teams. It's not like Orlando or Washington. You're playing against one of the better defensive teams in San Antonio like, yeah, Portland doesn't really have a guy that can guard MPJ. But Utah, like, Donovan Mitchell can do a decent job. He he was a defensive-minded guard coming out of Louisville, just blossomed an offensive star. But, like, yeah. these teams aren't bad at defense. I think with Michael Porter Jr., it's just such a – he has this combination of 
that and I'm not going to call him a KD like player, but I mean, he has this combination of skills that only a couple of players like KD have shooting uh, off the dribble the way he can, shooting from deep, shooting in the mid range, creating his own shot with his handle. And I mean, it's the thing that separates him from like a guy like KD is I feel like he almost plays just as big as he actually is. Like, I mean, you'll see him get down low and work on the boards. And I, he had a game against the Thunder where he had like 37 and 12 with four offensive rebounds. I mean, he, he just plays like a power forward who happens to be able to shoot and handle like a guard. It's, it's such a good game to watch. And I think this guy is really the limit for this guy. Scoring wise, he's got it all. He's got it all right now. Not only is he scoring, he's scoring so efficiently. Like yeah. besides the Utah game, his the San Antonio game, he shot fifty eight percent from the field and fifty five percent from beyond the arc. For how young he is, still, that's scary. That Nuggets team is going to be terrifying. Oh, absolutely. If Michael Porter Jr. lives up to his potential this Nuggets team is going to be title contenders for the next 10 years. Oh, yeah. They, they have the next – as long as this young core stays intact and, you know, none of the rare things you ever – never hope will happen happen, like injuries or anything like that, they will compete for the next decade with the young talent they have on the team, 100%. Another thing, Bowl Bowl. How much is Mike Malone really going to play him? He played him 25 against Portland. He dropped nine and five. But how, how much of a key factor is he really going to be in this, in his rookie year? He played in the G League some. Like, he wasn't, like, a key rotation piece. He was still kind of a rotation piece, though. Yeah, I'm not really I, – I, I think if I was the coach – Bobo would get a, at least a little bit of run in every game, but um, obviously I'm not a coach. And I think um, Mike Malone, especially, it's this is kind of like Porter Jr. is in the opposite kind of position that Bobo is in. Bobo is still technically a rookie. You know, I mean, he didn't play all season. If not for this, he probably would not have played. And Michael Porter Jr., even when he was drafted his first year and was healthy, we saw the Nuggets, you know, not play him at all. So I think it almost – I think they're probably going to take the same approach with Bowl Bowl and just, you know, give him all basically like a gap year. I mean, now you can kind of like that you – you know, they know he's healthy. You can put him out there and, you know, see the flashes and, you know, get him some experience. But I don't think they really – especially for a guy his size, injuries are even more, you know, prominent in, like, the knees, the ankles, the foot, stuff like that. So, I think they're definitely going to take the slow approach because his team, they probably won't really need him, you know, with as much talent as they have this year. I completely agree. Um, moving on to the next point, this is a super young team, like, are are they going to have the experience? The The oldest guy on this team is Paul Millsap, who hasn't really had too many deep playoffs run, playoff runs himself, being with the Atlanta Hawks and Utah Jazz most of his career. Neither of them really had deep playoff runs. Yeah. 
and like the rest of this team is like the rest of the starting lineup is 26 and below. Yeah. And then off the bench, you have guys like Mason Plumley, who's 28, I believe. And then guys like Jeremy Grant, who's about 24, 25. Monte Morris is like 26. It's, it's such a young core. It is a very young core. Um, and I think, you know, with the current construction in the West, it's, I still – I really do like the Nuggets, but I think it's still a kind of a two-team race between the, you know, the – for the – you know, basically it's going to be the Battle of A, LA, of L.A. But um, I think that, you know, this hopefully will – if the Nuggets can play up to their potential, this should be a big learning point for every one of those young guys, you know. This is what it feels like to be in the playoffs. This is what it feels like to, you know – have all the chips on the table and be playing against LA to go to the conference finals. You know, you hope that's the case. And um, like I said, whether it be this year or not, they will compete for a decade. So just being here in this high of a seed, I think will provide a lot of valuable learning experience for all these young guys. All right. Moving on to the Houston Rockets. Um, uh, 43 and 25, three and run in the bubble. I still don't know about Westbrook. Yeah. Like, he is, he has not been a good playoff performer whatsoever. Three first-round exits, exits in the past three years. One against a rookie, Donovan Mitchell. Yeah. No, I am a Thunder fan through and through, and I remember all three of the series, and it's I don't think that there was a single series where they, you know, the Thunder weren't favored. So, um, granted, you know, he's on a whole new team. Um, You know, I I think a lot of people would say that if they had to pick between Harden and Paul George, I think a lot of people would say Harden. I would personally take Paul George for the versatility, but, you know, to each their own. But – I just don't know. I'm not – I think it goes deeper than Westbrook also. I don't think he's going to be – you know, he's not the most efficient player. And also, I don't – I really don't believe in this small ball. It's going to have to prove me wrong because I, I just don't see how a six foot six person playing the five-man can, you know, get it done for you. See, I, I think it could work to an extent, but it's going to get predictable. Yeah. Like, they're going to figure it out. P.J. Tucker is – he's a good player, but he's not amazing. Yeah, and, I mean, what do you do when you play the Lakers and they're just going to throw it down to Anthony Davis and LeBron James is going to drive right to the hoop every time? Another thing is right now, Westbrook is out. Eric Gordon's out. And Bruno Caboclo is out. Those are like Eric Gordon and Westbrook. Yeah, that's two of your that's two of your big name players right there. And if they don't come back healthy in the next two to three days, that that could that could mean you falling from the four seed to the six seed, and uh, going and from having to pay, play, say Oklahoma City in the first round to having to play Denver. Yeah. Or even how close this race is, it could put you all the way down to the seventh seed. 
Oh, absolutely. Especially, especially the way the teams are playing. I mean, the Mavericks are playing as good as anybody. Um, Oklahoma City has looked pretty good. I mean, the only team in there that's really, you know, not living up to it so far is kind of the Jazz. And, you know, it's still a team where, you know, any other night you feel like they could easily come out and win. So, for Houston, it's going to come down to, um, uh, I think, their best player in James Harden, who also has kind of had, you know, his struggles in the playoffs. So, they have a lot of coming together to do, and I hope they have a kind of a kumbaya type moment and can figure it all out because right now they're playing good in the bubble. Don't get me wrong, but it just, their two stars, 1A and 1B, are, you know, kind of notorious for underachieving in the playoffs. See, I, I kind of want to compare this to Steve Young of the 49ers back in the 90s. He has he had a monkey to get off his shoulder. He was in the shadow of Joe Montana. Mm-hmm. This this Rockets team, like they've they've been to the conference finals when they had Chris Paul. I think they could have made it to the finals if Chris Paul didn't get injured. Yep. I don't think they would have beat Toronto, but but like they they have a monkey on their shoulder. Both. Both Westbrook and Harden have been underachievers in the playoffs. Westbrook hasn't made it to a final. Both of them haven't made it to a final since 2012 being on the Thunder together. And both of them have only made a Western Conference Finals once since. Yeah. And for Harden being a top 10 player in the league and Westbrook being a top 20 player in the league, you have to get that chip off your shoulder if you yeah. want to make a case for being a Hall of Famer. Oh, absolutely. I think, um, you know, you couldn't have said it any better. And it just – you kind of – I don't really understand the fit of them two, and I haven't even since the trade was made. But you know, maybe, like I said, maybe I'm missing something, and I just haven't seen it yet. We We will see once this – Bubble continues. Um, moving on to the your favorite team, the Oklahoma City Thunder. This team has been good. Yeah, they have. Uh, this has been, of all the Thunder teams that I've had to watch, this is probably my favorite Thunder team to watch. They just play a team brand of basketball that is really fun, and especially because you can tell that they kind of have embraced, you know, being the team that was counted out, you know, and they've just gone about their business every single game, game by game. And it's been really fun to watch. Chris Paul has proved to be, you know, uh, uh, leaving Houston, he had a lot of questions surrounding him. Can he stay healthy? Is he really this good of a player? Is he really a leader? And I think if you have any questions, you just look at this team, the position they're in, and where they were expected to be around this time. Like, this team um, would expect to be a lottery team, like a top oh, 10 yeah. lottery team. And it's just, you know, they have been the ultimate surprise. And um, a lot of people even thought that Chris Paul and Gallinari wouldn't be on the team past December. Uh, and instead, they, you know, stick to their guns. And they're the sixth seed in the West currently. Or fifth seed, excuse me. So, Which um, is insane. 
for how yeah. competitive this West West is. Absolutely. So, uh, Chris Paul is the everything that this team needs. I mean, it literally feels like whatever whatever game it is, whatever we're missing, whatever we need, Chris Paul finds a way to provide, and it's it just blows my mind. And it, I have a much more. I have much more of an appreciation for Chris Paul. Uh, he was never really, you know, a player that I, you know, kept my eye on all too much. I knew about his greatness, but now watching him, I look at him in a totally different light. He's definitely one of the best leaders I've ever seen on a basketball court. So um, I truly think with him on the Thunder, anything is possible. Um, and I'm, I mean anything. We could lose first round. We could, you know, win two rounds you know I, I really do it's just the team is still kind of inconsistent um Shea Gilgis Alexander my favorite young player on the team has um struggled I'd say in the bubble so far he hasn't been um as efficient as he was uh early in the season I, I remember early in the season or during the real season I should say um I felt he was one of the most efficient guards. He was always – he made a living in the paint with these crafty finishes. And um, right now it just seems like he's a, almost a step behind. And it seems like right now I feel like he's just got to kind of get back into the game. And um, hopefully that can happen because right now um, he's not really been the same player he was when the season stopped. Um, but other than that – um, they, I think for this team, it'll really just be staying healthy right now. They're kind of um, fighting a couple injuries. Steven Adams just got healthy again. Noel just got healthy again. Uh, Dennis Schroeder is currently away from the team uh, with his wife, who just where they just welcomed a newborn child. So they don't know when he'll be back. Hopefully it'll be in time for him to, you know, get his quarantine out of the way and be ready for the playoffs. But um, I think that them, especially with their three-guard lineup, Chris Paul, Shea, and Schroeder, that lineup gives just about every team in the league a fit. There's not many teams that can match up with that much, uh, you know, speed. And defensively, it's so weird that they're as good as they are because Schroeder is not a very good defender. Shea is an okay defender. Chris Paul is, I'd say, an above-average defender still in his age. But um, they give every team they play fits on the defensive end, no matter if they're outsized, outmanned, and it's really fun to watch. So I honestly can't wait to see them in the playoffs. I think they should be exciting. And just the fact that we even get to see them in the playoffs when it was the last thing a lot of people expected. You pretty much went over everything. My my last thing to bring up is, like, is Gallinari going to be able to play against, like, a – a very good front court. I think that he, I think that he can only because Gallinari is another guy that I have a newfound respect for because I always kind of just pinned him as just a shooter. And um, his game has shocked me just about as much as Chris Paul's. Uh, Gallinari is a, is a 20 point a game scorer. I mean, the reason that he doesn't hit it more often is just because We've been kind of uh, shorting him on the minutes just to kind of keep everybody healthy. And you know the history that a guy like he has when it comes to injuries. Oh, yeah. So, um, but no, he's 
a knockdown shooter. If he's open, it's going in. And even if he's not open, it still might be going in. And he's not afraid to put the ball on the floor and attack you at the paint. And he's really smart when it comes to drawing fouls. And that's what I think will get him the ability to succeed against the defensive front. Because as soon as you start to expect the shot, he'll get you on the dribble and get you out of position and draw. He's so smart and crafty at drawing the fouls. He, he could get any defensive front court player in foul trouble. All right. Moving on to the Utah Jazz, who are currently 43-27, but are 1-4 and four in the bubble. Haven't had the greatest NBA restart, if you could say it like that. Yeah. But I still really like this team. I I absolutely love Donovan Mitchell. He's oh, a very exciting player to watch. One of the most you can tell he always has fun playing basketball as well. But I I think the key thing for this team is what Mike Conley are you going to get? Yeah, I is he going to bring it back to Memphis and drop twenty and ten, or is he going to play how he did during the regular season? Yeah, it, it was that was got to be one of the weirdest things the way he just played in this season. Because you think of a guard like Mike Conley, and you think about what he does, you think it's a pretty you know universal transition. Like you could put him, you think you just pick him up and drop him on any team, and he'll you know give you good defense, good shooting, and you know good passing. But we haven't seen a lot of that. I think it's him and Mitchell kind of struggling because Mitchell. Is a shooting guard, but he basically learned to play point guard because of, you know, Utah's lack of a point guard. So I, I don't know if they can't figure out to, you know, to get the chemistry right about, you know, a healthy balance between the two. But Mike Conley does not look – you see it in flashes, but he does not look like what the Mike Conley we're used to. And I think if he can play to that level, they are a scary team because they have, at that point, a legit three-headed monster. I think another big thing to bring up is who's going to take Bogdanovich's scoring load because that man was dropping 20 on a regular. Yeah. Like, before he got injured, he was averaging, I think, like 20 and 6, which is insane. Yeah. I guess For the caliber of Bogdanovich, like, no one – I don't think anyone really saw him as, like, a 20-point scorer. Oh, uh, uh, yeah, I don't think so. Uh, you saw he had the potential maybe, but, um, you know, you might not see it coming to fruition like that. But um, I'd say I guess it would have to be Joe Ingles. Um, he'll pro- or he'll probably be the one that gets thrust into the, you know, uh, a bigger role. Um with this, and um, I think the interesting thing is for Joe Ingles, he's a very crafty player, and I think he can create for others more. So, um, you know, you don't have to get all the scoring from him, but just maybe get the ball in his hands a couple more times and, you know, watch him create a couple open threes for other guys and things like that. And that all, you know, helps to fill the void. See, I Joe Ingles is a very, very underrated playmaker. Oh, yeah. Like, he had 13 assists last night. 
Yeah, he he's just a a smart player, a very smart player. All right, moving on to the Dallas Mavericks, who are forty two and thirty, two and three in the bubble so far. This this team, this this team right here is insane. Can we talk about? a team that's more fun to watch than Dallas? I can't think of any, honestly. I think the only team that could maybe be, maybe be more fun to watch right now is is the Phoenix Suns in the bubble. I okay, think that's, that's the only team. That... Yeah, I will <laughs> give you that one. That is valid. They are on fire right now. We're coming up on them, though. But, but like, Luka Doncic, he dropped a 36-point 19 assists, 14 rebound, triple double against the Bucks. Yeah. The best defensive team in the league. Luka Doncic is insane. We we're trying to figure out who's who's taking the crown from LeBron when he's done and a lot of people have already, you know, put it on uh Giannis and fair, you know, fairly so. But Luka Doncic is the best 20-year-old the NBA has ever seen. And I'll say it again. I mean, he is – we have never seen a guy at 20 years – I think he just turned 21, but either way, you don't see a player play like that at that age. Like, he is so good so early, it is scary. LeBron didn't even play like this at 20. LeBron oh, wasn't no. almost averaging a triple-double at 20 years old. No. Like, Luka was half a rebound away and an assist away from averaging a triple-double at 21 years old. He is – he's insane. He's probably the best overall offensive player in the game right now. Uh, in my opinion, I just think he's so smart in every single aspect of it. He can, he can get a dime. He can get a – he can get a three, he can get a dunk, he can get a layup, he can create for others in so many different ways that it, it's that's the most surprising part is how much he can do at 21. You know, his game is so undefined because it, it, it can really go, be anything. Not only that, he is he is fantastic at creating space. Oh my gosh. Have you seen that- his moves put on Clint Capella? It's terrifying. Him and J- – I'd say him and James Harden are, you know, 1A, 1B, however you personally want to put it. But they are – they create more space than anybody. Not only that, do they – both of them have fantastic step backs. Yep. Like, Luka is the future of this NBA. There's oh, yeah. no doubt. With I, the way the game is moving, it, it just fits his game like a glove. I I know people say LeBron chased Jordan's ghost. I, I think Luka's going to chase Jordan's ghost more than LeBron. With how well he's played, there's no doubt he's not going to get five MVPs. I, and if he stays with this team and he sticks with Kristaps for his career, I think they could win six championships easily. Yeah, I think that the big thing for them is going to be the, you know, the players that they put around them. It's going to take 
I don't think that this is the core. The what they have oh. going on right now, Tim Hardaway Jr. I'm not the biggest fan of his, and you know, a center like what they call a sign. They just gonna take a couple more pieces, but just guys that are just more defensive minded. Because you could afford with a guy like Luca to have almost an all defensive team because he will. I don't care who they. He could be playing with me, and he could get me five free buckets a game it, with how much attention he draws and how his his vision allows him to see every single thing on the court and as soon as you get that opening he gets you the ball and it's actually it's so fun to watch because you know anytime you see it on the tv and we have the advantage of looking over the whole court and all that he sees it the same exact time and the pass is on the way another guy to bring up is Christoph Sporzingis is on fire yeah Hasn't had a – he's had one game – no, two games under 30. Wow. He dropped 39 in the first game. He's been hot. Like, if if there's not a more dynamic – like, this is a top five dynamic duo in the bubble right now. Oh, absolutely, 100%. I think the only ones that can, like – that are truly above them, that are definitely above them, is LeBron and AD and uh, Paul George and Kawhi. Yeah, that would I, be – yeah, I, I agree. Like, you can make a case for them being anywhere from three to ten. Like, they're they're in the top ten. It's insane. Oh, I, I, 100% in the top ten. Absolutely. There, you, I don't think you get a single question about that. All right, moving on to the Memphis Grizzlies, 33-37, and 1-4 and four in the bubble. I feel so bad for Ja. This team had a very, very good chance, but Jaron Jackson going down with that injury just, just riddled their chance of getting to the playoffs. Yeah, it was um, – I'm a big Jaron Jackson Jr. fan. Um, I, I really like his game. I think he's kind of um, – you talk about, like, Luca being the future of the NBA. Jaron Jackson Jr. is probably the future of his entire position. Um, just, you know, in, in the way he plays, goes about his game. Um, but it, it is really sad to see him go down. And now probably their chances are gone. But I will say one thing. You can't really count out anybody in the bubble. You know, I counted out a couple of teams and – one of them was the Suns, and look at what they're doing right now. It's not, I mean, so I I don't think it could happen to where, you know, you lose Jaron Jackson Jr. and you get better. But if there was ever a time where I feel like we could see it, it would be in the bubble. You spoke that well. I mean, I don't, I don't think you can ever count out Ja just because of how amazing he's played. Of course, he does still have – like he does still have a good, a pretty good cast. Jonas Jonas Valanciunas is a, is a very good center. Dylan yeah. Brooks, is not a bad running mate for him. Of course, you have Brandon Clark, who's a fantastic stretch big for, how young he is. Yeah. It's just I, Jaron Jackson Jr. going down, really really hurts them, especially for the future. Because coming back from any kind of knee injury is scary 
for for a basketball player. Let alone a big guy. It's and it's not an ACL, but torn meniscus is still not good. Yeah, especially for a guy of Jaron Jackson's of Triple J size, six ten, six eleven. Like you don't really see too many guys come back for that the same. I'm hoping he does because he was electrifying. Like yeah. he was, he's the future of the power forward position. Him and Kristaps. Yep. I'm I'm just hoping this Memphis team can bounce back next year and make a make a name. Oh yeah, I I think they're they're in a really bright spot for the future. But um, you know this like kind of like what we said about earlier about the Nuggets with their young players kind of getting some reps in the playoffs. I think that this would have been you know really valuable for the the Grizzlies. I mean, Jaron Jackson Jr. gets playoff experience in year two. John Morant comes in as a rookie. And he allows for him and Brandon Clark to get some experience. Blitz Eunice, I honestly can't remember if he ever was really. I mean, he probably made the playoffs with the Raptors back in the day, but I mean, nothing any that would be too notable. So, um, you know, just more experience for everybody. So, I mean, but either way, you know, yeah, I'm sure they'll be back. They'll be stronger. John Morant is this is probably the worst version of him that we'll see for the next 10 years, which is terrifying for the entire NBA. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure that they'll be – I'm sure they'll be around this position or even higher come next year. All right, moving on to the Portland Trailblazers. They're 32-39, and 3-2 and two in the bubble. Damian Lillard. Oh, my God. Yeah. I what else can you really say about a guy like Dame that other than just said. oh my lord yeah there's really not much um other than you know the bat my dad used to say it all the time the basket is looking like the ocean for this guy right now um I really don't think there's a shot that he can't make um I've heard other people say this like Steph is in here Dame is the best shooter in the bubble. By far. Uh, yeah, I could see it. He, him and Steph Curry are the only players I have ever seen that can shoot from anywhere on the court. Yeah, Literally and, anywhere. And the way they do it, they can do it off the, you know, standing still, off the dribble, off the pull up. Any kind of way you can shoot the basketball, they can do it. Of course, I, I know it hurt you last year seeing him just pull up from half court. Yeah. yeah I mean, I, I'm a Thunder fan. I've seen it before. Steph Curry's done it to us. Damian Lillard's done it to us. You know, it's just we're, we live and die by the three-pointer in Oklahoma City. <laughs> but unfortunately, we died, died to it a lot. But, no, I learned firsthand how hard it is to stop a guy like Lillard. I mean, Paul George, an excellent defender, basically covered him the entire series once we realized that Westbrook really had no business being on the same court as him. And he just continued to do and get whatever he wanted. When Damian Lillard gets in kind of like the same thing with Paul George when he gets in these modes, there's no stopping that man. 
You know who's been a really big shock for me? Where did Gary Trent Jr. come from? When did he start dropping 20? Yeah, he has been uh, the best bench player for them. Not only dropping 20, doing it odd, 60% from from three, 80%, 70%. He has been hot. And he is uh, he's one of those guys. I think he just forgot how, what it feels like to miss. Like, in the re- like before all this happened, he was averaging seven points. In the bubble, he's averaging, tw- like, 20. That, and, see, that's another thing that I like about this. You get to see all the – you get to see who actually worked on their game. And I think at this point, five games in, it's not, you know, you can't really say it's just lucky anymore. You know, like, Gary Trent has imp- is an improving shooter. He's, you know, starting to become a real threat. And from I've watched limited amounts of the Trailblazers games. I'd be willing to say that he's playing better than C.J. McCollum right now. Also, we're going to get to another player who's just caught fire for some reason in the bubble later on. But, yeah, Gary Trent, like, I – I would on like if I'm Terry Stotts, I would consider having McCollum be the sixth man and be the, that microwave off the bench. And uh, I think it. yeah, I think it would be a a better role for him almost. He's not. I'm not the biggest McCollum fan personally, so just like take what I say with a grain of salt. But to me, he doesn't even show for him and Dame to play together. That backcourt bleeds buckets defensively. Dame is willing to work, and he does try, but I don't even see that much effort from McCollum to say that he tries. I mean, he he runs around on <laughs> defense. But um, if Gary Trent Jr. is willing to, you know, shadow the best player and, you know, put up a fight on screens and all these other things that, you know, the best player is going to get, I think it would be more beneficial for him to run with, with Dame in the starting lineup. Also, another player, uh, Carmelo Anthony is turning heads again. Yeah. Like, this, apparently this Portland Trailblazers team is just the god of making players who weren't fantastic into gods. They have been um, – Carmelo Anthony, and another example, you could tell he really dedicated himself during his time off, got in much – Probably the best shape we've seen Melo be in in what? He is. He is slim. Yeah. I mean, I can't remember a time when Melo even looked like this. So like, um, I remember I remember Melo looking like Paul Pierce most of his career, not not like yeah. this. So, um, you know, you could tell that he's – and, I mean, at the same time, you can understand it. You know, he's late in his career. He wants a ring. Uh, oh, he wants whether a ring it comes so from, Yeah, whether it comes with the Blazers, it's not looking likely, but – I do have a newfound respect for him, you know, kind of showing that he's willing to do what it takes to, you know, try to make it happen. And um, one more player I want to touch on for the, the Blazers is uh, Nurkic. Nurkic has looked awesome. And he has already basically relegated Hassan Whiteside to riding the pine. I mean, Nurkic has probably almost been one of the biggest shocks to me because, I mean, we talked about a lot earlier, you know, how rough the, you know, injuries can be for big men. You don't – you rarely see a guy come back and look 
better immediately than he did when he left with the injury. And Nurkic was playing really good last year. Oh, but yeah. But he just looks like a different beast right now. Like, that, that Portland team last year that that was in the conference finals oh, – I'm sorry, uh, that Houston Rockets team was the 2018 uh, conference finals. That completely flipped my mind. But that Portland team last year was – the most put together Portland team I've ever seen. Yeah. That I've personally seen. I've never seen Clyde Drexler or any of those early teams, Bill Walton. Like this this Portland team, they weren't a first round exit. They weren't an eight seed. They made it to the conference finals. That is the first time I've ever seen them make the conference finals. No, yeah. The same for me and it, they were Man, they were – they just – everything worked, you know, and they had they had their number one guy, Damian Lillard. They had McCollum, who was playing like the second star. And then, you know, they had Nurkic. They're, they're big, you know, I don't want to say surprise, but basically surprise. And then they had a lot of role guys. Trevor Ariza was awesome, you know, 3 and D kind of player for them. And, you know, the, the rest filled out from there. But this year, it – I, it's weird because I think right now they're definitely better than they were last year, but you know it sucks that they got themselves in the hole that they're in. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'd say that they're the team that they have to play in right now against Memphis, but um, I I'd like to see probably them over anybody else in in the playoffs only because now I love Jaw, but without Jaron Jackson Jr. It, you know, it kind of takes away from that team. But um, if they get the play in, I'm all for, you know, whoever wins it, it deserves to be there. Also, I don't want to interrupt you. Uh, with how – when we're recording this podcast right now, Washington versus OKC is going on, and currently OKC is blowing them out of the water, 21-8. Uh, to eight. Yeah, I mean, Washington, um, glad you guys got the invite. You really didn't have to come. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, oh, they're they're here just basically to you know a little bit of pride before they go to the lottery. I don't know. Yep. All right. <laughs> Moving on to the the most shocking team out of everyone here, the Phoenix Suns, thirty-one and thirty-nine, but five and zero oh in the bubble. <laughs> How? What? And it's not like they've played scrub teams. They've played competition. Yeah. Like, the one so-called bad – the one bad team they've played is the Wizards. They've beat the Mavericks, the Clippers, the Pacers, and the Heat. That That is a – that is a group of teams right there. Um, the Heat game, especially, I watched that one in its entirety. Um, the Suns, they just play so fast. Um, like the seven seconds or less offense. Yeah, they're up and down the court the whole time. A pick that I really was not a fan of for them um, in Cameron Johnson has is really playing up to, you know, where he was drafted. He Everyone knew he was a shooter. And um, he's knocking down all the shots when he's open. He's 
he's a bigger guy than I actually thought he was too. He's a, he's a legit six foot eight and they've been running him in the small ball four and he has no problem, you know, hounding fours, who, whoever they may be big or small ball fours. And um, he works hard on the glass. I've really liked what he's been doing. And DeAndre Ayton, it looks like the the number one pick that, you know, the guy he picked over Bagley and Doncic and Trey Young. Uh, he is looking like, you know, mini Joel Embiid. You know, he's such a big, strong guy. And, I mean, he can really, when he wants to, do whatever he wants in the post. I completely agree. He's had only one bad game in this bubble so far, and that was against Dallas. But you're going against a seven foot three unicorn and Porzingis. Yeah, I mean, strength wise, he still has the matchup. But I mean, with Porzingis, you know, those almost go go gadget arms, he can really affect the best of them down low. But this this team has been so exciting to watch. Like they play like they don't care. Like they're yeah. here. They made it to the bubble. That's that's the scary thing. I'm, it's it's insane what they have done. And Devin Booker, D Book has been an absolute stud. It it's so funny to me because do you remember those scrimmage games? And I, I'm almost positive I even said it on our last podcast that D Book was kind of disappointing me. And, uh, oh, no. you know, it kind of looked like, you know, had he been shooting or anything like that. It's safe to say that I should just keep my mouth shut. Yeah, he just, he just shut you right up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, he looks – I mean, he looks better than when the season stopped. He look, he's playing probably the best basketball of his entire career. I mean, this the first five-game winning streak he's ever had. And I, I now it's starting to come out, you know, get this man out of Phoenix. Why can't we just let Devin Booker – turn Phoenix into a winner because I, I think we're starting to see the potential that is there. You know, I mean, if you're a bad enough team and you get enough first round draft picks, you got to start turning some of them into good players. And it looks like the Suns are starting to finally hit on a couple. And I think this team has, it's probably about a piece away, one piece away. I think they need that point guard and yeah. they'll be, they'll be off and running. Absolutely. It's going to take a – it'll be an interesting fit, though, I feel like, for – you know, to get it to work with Booker because you still want Booker to be afforded, you know, some of the luxuries when it comes to, you know, bringing the ball down court and, you know, running the offense because he's become, in the bubble at least, kind of like their second point guard. I mean, they have Rubio, obviously, but he, he's been so content to find the open man and not force up bad shots that it really is like, you know, kind of feels like we're watching a turn in his maturity and, you know, him, his rise and growth of a player. I mean, he is still only 23. That's the crazy thing. He's been in the league since 20. He's been in the league forever. and He's only 23. The youngest player when he was drafted at like 18 years and six months, uh, he was, it came in his first year and was a problem on the offensive end. I mean, Devin Booker is scary. He still has the most points in a game since Kobe yep. with 70. Sadly, that was dropped against my Celtics. <laughs> um, but still, like, Booker is, like, him, him getting praise from Kobe was well-deserved. Oh, absolutely. I think – and I think that, you know – Kobe was a very methodical person. I don't think he ever did anything 
without, you know, uh, some type of reasoning behind it. And um, I think Kobe really did have an eye for greatness. And I think, you know, I think you don't have to, no matter who you are, you don't have to watch very much of Devin Booker to realize, you know, what his ceiling could possibly be. And I think Kobe probably, you know, saw exactly what we all saw and, you know, realized that he's in a really crappy situation in Phoenix. And, you know, just make the best of it while you can and just work on your game and become the best player you can be. And I think that he will reach his limit. I I, I can't – I don't think I can add anything on to that. That's just – that's facts. Straight up facts. <laughs> All right, moving on to San Antonio. Uh, 30 and 39, 2 and 3 – or 30 and 38, 3 and 2 in the bubble. They still have a chance. Greg Popovich playoff streak can survive another year. Is it crazy that I mean, are we crazy or are the Spurs crazy? Like I get we counted out Popovich, but this team doesn't even have Lamarcus Aldridge, and you guys are trying to about to make the playoffs. It's just you know we should have known from the minute we didn't you know put much attention on San Antonio that this is exactly where they would be. But um, DeMar DeRozan has taken over the small ball four for them, and it just looked really, really good. Um, DeJounte Murray is looking like an absolute monster. Absolutely. And they're getting to run a lot of their young guys. Lonnie Walker's looked good. Even – oh, I can't think of his name. Derek White? Uh, No, he was drafted from Kentucky last year. He's a rookie this year. Oh, uh – is it mm, e, Drew Eubanks? No, nah, I can't think of him. But um, he's getting some run. Oh wait, well. okay. I'm t- Lucas Samanick. Oh yeah, yeah, has he gotten to play? I don't think so. Sadly, I really want to see him play though. Let me see here. Uh, Keldon Johnson. Ah, he's okay, gotten yeah, some yeah, play. Yeah. Um. So they're, you know, getting their young players some minutes. Um, no matter who the Spurs pick, you just know it's going to work out. So it's good to see that their players are actually panning out and have gotten them to a winning record in the bubble. And um, do I think that they really have a chance? Yes, I think they have Popovich. But do I really think they have a chance? Probably not. I I think with Triple J going down, I – I think that's what opened it up for them. Yeah. If they can go if they can go on a three game win streak, because there's no doubt Portland isn't making it at this point. They're only the only team ahead of them right now really is Phoenix. And if Phoenix stays hot, then Phoenix stays hot. I'm sorry, San Antonio. There's nothing you can do about that. Yeah. But if if they go on a little bit of a win streak then I, I think they could keep it going 22 years. It would be, you know, an awesome thing to see. And I, I like I said, I won't put it past them to do it. But um, I just think, you know, at a certain point, you're outgunned. And the the talent level of the team without um, Aldridge just – it might not be enough to get it done, but um, it, it is the bubble. Anything can happen. And I, San Antonio Spurs are one team that I have learned to never count out. 
All right, moving on to the New Orleans Pelicans, who are 30 and 39 and 2 and 3 in this bubble. I I love Zion. He's fantastic. But is he really going to be able to play the four as as well as everyone hyped him up to be? able to I think in my opinion I think absolutely I think he's a matchup nightmare no matter who you really put beside him there's not many people I mean you put a traditional big on him and Zion is way too fast you put a smaller guy on him and Zion's way too strong there's no player that exactly molds up to Zion and which is why he can always – and his game varies so much that, you know, there's no way of really – really stop. I mean, you could force Zion into bad games and leave him have leave him with bad shots and things like that. And, you know, uh, it, the Clippers held him to seven points, and he only had 13 against Utah. But I feel like also in those games, you watch, he didn't play more than 25 minutes. Uh, it, I know that's not much of an excuse. He got 25 whole minutes, but um, he's he still what we're on 25 games that he's played. I mean, he's still learning the NBA. He's still figuring things out. I think, I think he'll be the one A for the Pelicans for you, you know 10 years, if or as long as he chooses to stay there. So um, that's how much faith I have in him. But um. Oh, I, I have faith in him. I'm just – I don't know how he's going to do this playoff run. Oh, I, yeah, I don't think that there's anything really. I know I had pinned the Pelicans as the, you know, last spot, but it's pretty clear at this point that they're not going to be there. Um, just got in too big of a hole early and um, looks like they're going to be uh, watching from home. And, of course, I think the other – Big name, Brandon Ingram. What What is he going to do for these last three games? I think for him, it will just kind of be – I mean, it's really for Brandon Ingram, it's kind of – he's really had whatever he wants all season. He's gotten to really be the star for the first time in his, his career. Um, and he's definitely loving it. On the offensive end, you can tell he's putting up great numbers. He's definitely in the race for the most improved player of the year um, and could very well receive the award. But um, I think he's he's got to round out his game a little bit more. Honestly, if he wants to uh, be able to play with Zion, I think um, – because either one of them could easily play the four. Um, And they're total opposites of what, you know, you could have at the position – so um, I think if he needs to work on his um, outside scoring, just I mean he's gotten a lot better this year, but I still think there's a little bit more room for improvement, especially with you know his wingspan. He could definitely get his release up a little bit higher, and it would basically be uncontestable. So if he could just do that and become, you know, just a better player on the perimeter, which he's already done by a lot, but I think he still has a little bit of room. I think that would you know create a big problem for people trying to guard him and Zion at the three and the four. It would be scary. And moving on to the last team in the West, this, this West is just insane, but the Sacramento Kings, 
29 and 41 and four, they're out. Like they're, they're not going to be able to come back from this. They're, they're already what five and a half games behind Memphis. Yeah. It's, um, they're dead in the water for sure. Um, but I guess at this point you get, um, yeah, a couple of nice things that can happen. You know, you get some, um, confidence for De'Aaron Fox. I think he's a very good young player. Um, he's going to have a bright future for sure. Probably at this point, the fastest player in the NBA with his basketball in his hands. Um, he found, he went ahead and shaved his head. So, you know, kind of a new beginning for the guy. Uh, I, I really do like his game a lot, but, um, I really thought Marvin Bagley was going to be, you know, the guy beside him. And it really hasn't, it hasn't worked out that way, at least to this point. I know he's had injuries, which are, you know, the most unfortunate things that can happen to you. But I mean, still, even when he's played, you haven't really seen the second, second overall pick, you know, value. Nope. Not, not at all. Like, Bagley has been a decent player, but not not to the level of being picked over Luka Doncic or Trey Young. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. And it's just weird to me. I mean, he's the best player I've ever seen in person. Um, I got the pleasure of seeing him play against Virginia Tech Hokies at home. And um, he looked – he it was just nothing you could do. He was just like a man amongst boys. There, there was nothing you could do to get him off of his game. And he's definitely playing in a man's league now. But he just for how dominant he was down low and then the mid-range. And, you know, he could get whatever shot he wanted. It's weird to see him, you know, struggle to even, you know, want to look like he wants to take over a game. It, it's kind of weird to me. All right, finally, we're moving on to the Eastern Conference. It's been a bit of a longer one, but there's there's so much to talk about, and I hope you all have been enjoying this because both of us just love sports, and I hope, I hope you all can share that love with us. But moving on to the Milwaukee Bucks, 55-15, and 2-3 and three in the bubble. Ken, here, here's the big thing. Are Chris Middleton and Eric Bledsoe going to play good in the playoffs? That is the million-dollar question for the Bucs. Um, you know, the, those are definitely the three players, I'd say, on that three-headed monster, although it's starting to look more and more like Brooke Lopez wants to be in there. Where did, she dropped 34 last game. I, hey. I He's looking really good before this restart, and he might almost be, you know, the one that needs to help get it done for them. But um, Chris Middleton has looked good offensively, I thought, you know, in most of his games. I think he had a bad game the other night. Um, yeah, it's against Brooklyn. Yeah, but for the most part, he's been playing well, and Eric Bledsoe just actually returned to play. So um, I, I think, you know, he's got a couple, he's got a few games, three games exactly go ahead and, you know, kind of get the rust off, get ready, get in game shape. And um, I think no matter how he's playing, you just need to put him on the floor and let him run. I mean, Eric Bledsoe is a dog. He he really is, you know, uh, I like the way he just plays a point guard position. He doesn't really think about, 
you know, trying to be the number one scorer. He's totally down to play really good defense and how I'm the opposing player's best wing or uh, best guard and pass the ball and, you know, set a screen. He's just like, almost like a Kyle Lowry kind of guy, like a pit bull. And so um, I like Bledsoe a lot. And um, I think that, you know, he's going to be a big factor for this team and how good they are. Because if, right. if you get really good Bledsoe as your third best player, that's a scary looking team. I completely agree. But looking back on the playoff last year, we saw Chris Middleton and Eric Bledsoe just fold under pressure. Absolutely. That Toronto team, like, you already had Kawhi doing as much as he could to stop Giannis. And that's that was their best defender. Chris Middleton and Eric Bledsoe had, didn't really have anyone on them. Yes, Eric Bledsoe had Kyle Lowry on him. Chris Middleton could have had Pascal Siakam on, on him at times. But that's still not – like, you you have to be able to make up for what Giannis wasn't able to put out. And they couldn't. That's that's why they couldn't get to the finals. Yeah. It, it, you know, Giannis is the 1A by a long shot. And um, really, they're going to go as deep as Chris Middleton and Bledsoe will allow them. I think, you know – Giannis could very easily carry them to the final or the conference finals, you know, by himself. But at that point, there is no gimmies anymore. You're going to be playing the top tier teams. And I don't think Giannis can do that on his, by himself. He could do it for a game. He can't do it for a series though. So somebody's going to have to step up and, you know, be that guy. And it's going to be more about just, you know, catching the kick out from Giannis. It's going to be, who else can get the ball and get themselves a bucket or create a bucket for somebody else? Because Giannis can't be asked to do, you know, 99% of everything and have the 1% be just the shot from the corner that he creates, you know, it's too, it just takes too much on him. I know he's almost a superhero, but I mean, everybody gets tired. Yeah. But I, the thing, here's the thing in the East. I, I don't think there's, anyone who's even capable of holding Giannis in the East right now. Maybe Bam. Maybe. I think maybe Joel Embiid. I I think those are the only two players that actually could hold up with him. The Celtics don't have anyone. Like, who are you going to put on? Daniel Theis? No. He's just going to get murdered. Toronto, (laughs) are you going to put Pascal on him? No. He's going to get murdered. Pascal's a good defender, but Giannis is just a, another monster on offense. Yeah. And then Giannis is going to go stop their best three or four, three to anywhere from three to five. Like, he's, he's easily the defense player of the year. If he's not, then this entire thing is rigged. Oh, absolutely. I think, um, it, you know, it's sad because I think that two of the players that have had – you know, good-ish chances of being able to stop – or not stop Giannis, but just contain him. Because there's – I think we've gotten to the point where we realize there's no stopping Giannis. It's the thing you can LeBron, only hope you to contain. You can't stop LeBron. Yeah. You can only contain him. You just minimize his footprint on the game as much as you possibly can. And it's sad that in the East we've seen, you know, two, two players that, you know, in my opinion probably have a good chance of doing that already fall out with the injury bug. And 
Ben Simmons, who we'll get to later, and Jonathan Isaac, who we'll get to later. Um, but, you know, both of those guys just have, you know, the size, speed. They, you know, they have physical intangibles to be able to attempt to do it. So, because, I mean, not you just don't realize that not many people are built like Giannis. 6'11", and, 240, and can dribble like a guard. Yeah. So, I mean, automatically, just based off of his measurements, it takes a certain kind of player. And those are two guys right there that were, you know, around that kind of player that, you know, are also athletic guys that, you know, could at least stay in front of him more than other players. <laughs> that It's kind of sad that you think about a player and how to guard him. And the only thing you can even think of is just trying to stay in front of them. But that's, that's Giannis. All right. Uh, let's move on to Toronto. This is, this has been the shocker team of the of the entire year, I think. Yeah. Uh, forty nine and fourteen, three one in the bubble, coming into this season. No, I think seventy five percent of the fan base counted them out. I think even some Toronto fans counted them out. Yeah. Because I, they lost a top five player in the league. They lost their Finals MVP and Kawhi Leonard, but yet they're still the two seed. How? <laughs> it is very, very crazy, and I don't think we can um, – I really think we got to give the credit where it's due. Uh, Pascal has done an excellent job of stepping up, and you can't ever be asked to replace Kawhi Leonard. I mean, especially when you keep the same, like, roster that you had. You know, it's just – it's going to be hard. But Pascal is doing his damnedest to do it uh I mean the guy has up every category that he has he's playing he's the most improved last year he could probably be in the running again if he didn't just get the award I mean he's just playing really good basketball he's getting every you know knock that I had on his game has improved and that's that's a sign of a player that you know just goes about his business every day and works to be the best player he can be and I think you know when you have that kind of work ethic really you could turn yourself into as good a player as you want. My my one concern with this Raptors team is I I don't know if Pascal can really lead this team to the conference finals by himself. Like, yes, he has Kyle Lowry and Fred Van Vliet and Marcus Gasol and Serge Ibaka, but he is the only star on that team. Yeah, and I, I don't, don't really – I think you I, hit I it on the them, head there. I, I I see them getting to the second round against Boston, but I, I don't see them getting past Boston. I, I really don't. Yeah, it's just like, I mean, it's just the, when you're betting on a seven-game series, you know, you bet on, or I mean, not betting, but I mean, if you're just trying to pick who's going to win, you you need a team. It was just too many teams in the East that have too, more firepower than them. I, I think that, you know, it's nice that you can get, you know, what you get out of Fred Van Vliet, Norman Powell, Serge Ibaka, Mark Saul, all the players you just listed. But, I mean, when it comes to consistent buckets in the playoffs, I have a lot more faith in the Celtics. I have a lot more faith in the Heat. I have a lot more faith in Milwaukee than, to, than the players for Toronto. It's just, you know, the nature of the team construction. I think that the Raptors are missing, a, you know, another second kind of star. I completely agree. Um, I think another thing to 
go on, uh, continuing with that Boston series, can OG and Anobi even hold Tatum? Uh, in my opinion, Tatum is another one of those guys. You know, you can't – for him, he gets it done in a much different way than a guy like Giannis, but his footwork is just next level. His shooting is incredible. Finishing is awesome. I mean, offensively, he's really got all the tools. I don't think that you can uh, stop him, but I think OG – in the seven-game series, will give him fits. That's just, I mean, his kind of game. But I think right now Tatum is an unstoppable player. You can't stop him. You just have to try to make every single shot as difficult as possible. And when you have a guy like Tatum, he's still going to knock down 50% of those. So, I mean, you just got to be prepared to go every day about your work. Uh, going off of that, let's move on to the Boston Celtics, 46-23, and 3-2 and two in the bubble. And you, you said it. You said it right. Like, my main point for this team, or one of my main points, yes, Tatum started off slow against Milwaukee, only having five points. But after that, he picked it right back up where he left off in the regular season. Yeah. I He's mean, hot. This... He came off the regular season torching the NBA. Yeah, this is my favorite team in the East probably just to watch. I, I love the brand of basketball they play. They are as deep as anyone in the league. Um, they, their young players are so good and so talented, and I wish I could know what they scout for because they always hit it on the head. Um, but I think that Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum are as good of a wings that you could ask for. Their skill set are so complimentary it's not even funny and both of them just seem to it seems like every time you watch them from just game to game it feels like they're getting better and that is scary and then you add in Kemba Walker which I mean we know who Kemba is I've I've said it before and I said I'm going to say it again this Celtics team can like any four of these guys can drop anywhere from Tatum Kemba, Jalen, or Hayward can drop 20 on any given night. Oh, absolutely. And, I mean, you know, they're, that's their games. At one point in time, that was their game for every single one of them. It's, it's insane how deep this team is. And then you have a, an absolutely fantastic coach in Brad Stevens, who is just an absolute defense – he's a defensive genius when it comes to coaching – He's able Absolutely. to get guys like Grant Williams and Semi Ojale, who are smaller guys, but they can. He he has the right system for them to be able to guard from three to five. Yeah, he's he's a very good defensive coach, and I think that's honestly why I kind of like the idea of them in Milwaukee because. No one, we no one can stop Giannis. But I think if there's anybody that could draw up a game plan to minimize the impact that he can have, it would be a guy like Brad Stevens. And this team is so much better than the team last year. Oh, like absolutely. that team last year, you didn't have Kyrie. You had Terry Rozier as your starting point guard. Tatum isn't what he was now. Neither is Jalen Brown. Gordon Hayward's had a fantastic bounce back. Absolutely. Granted, we don't have Al Horford, who I think can 
kind of be called the the Giannis counter. Uh, the Giannis stopper, yeah. That was – you guys employed him very well in that kind of role. Um, but uh, it's kind of looking like at this point he might be on a team that might it might not even matter for that aspect of his game. But um, Well, going off of that, going on to the Miami Heat, who are 43-27, and 2-3 and three in the bubble. The, the big thing for this Heat team is they got to hope Jimmy Butler comes back soon and decently good. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, that's their max player. Um, he is, uh, you know, their entire they, – he, they go as he goes. I say that all the time. But I really think that's how it is for the NBA, especially with, you know, like – especially with his mindset. You, we know who – Jimmy Butler is. Jimmy Butler is a dog. He, he is perfectly fine to play as hard as he possibly can on defense the entire game and score 15 points if that means it's coming in a W. So, I mean, and that, it's kind of like the entire Heat philosophy. You, know, you add in Duncan Robinson, Tyler Hero, some shooters like that, Jay Crowder. They are probably the most intriguing team in the East. And one of the most fun to watch. I personally love watching the Celtics play, but if the Celtics aren't playing, I'm watching the Heat because there just isn't a player on their team that doesn't just complement their entire team perfectly. And they're playing without Goran Dragic right now, without Jimmy Butler, and they're still playing good. They also haven't had Kendrick Nunn. So um, the last I heard on Jimmy Butler is that He's looking to return on Monday versus the Pacers. But um, if, you know, he seems like he's just one of those slide right in kind of guys. I mean, you know what he gives you every single game. So um, I, I think that, you know, once he comes back, they'll kind of, you know, get things back on track. And I'm not too worried about the two and three start. Oh, yeah. I'm like Jimmy Butler was the whole reason that Bulls team was still able to make playoffs. Oh, absolutely. Like, that, I think it was 2016 or 2017 yep. where they pushed that uh, that Celtics team with Isaiah Thomas to a six- or seven-game series as an eight seed. Yeah. I re- and it was uh, Jimmy Butler and Nate Robinson. And, like, Isaiah Thomas was on fire that year, like MVP candidate. Like, But Jimmy yeah. Butler was just able to lead that team. To he, he just two or it, three win to yeah two or three wins, which yeah, is I mean, he's just down to do whatever it takes to win, and I respect that. Um, now let's let's talk about the X factor of this team, uh, Bam Adebayo. Yeah. Is is he ready? Is is he ready for this? That's 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 the big thing. I I think that Bam Adebayo is ready for it. Um, so. I did hear a comment from him the other day that made me a little nervous. He said in an interview that um, ever since he had COVID-19, um, he's now healthy. But um, he said that every once in a while, he feels like he's not physically where he was. And that is something that is definitely scary That and that you don't want to hear, you know, three games away from the playoffs. But um, I, I think – you know, I haven't really seen it, seen him look like on the court. He's been missing any beats, 
So um, I think Bam Adebayo is ready. I think he'll take that step. I think he's already one of the better bigs in the East. And he's got a really fun game to watch. He, he likes to get other people, other players involved. He's like the Jokic of the East. Um, they like to run a lot, get him right in the high post, get him the ball and just run plays right around him. And he finds the open man, finds the cutter to the open three. Um, he's a really good, talented big man who has, you know, a lot of guard aspects to his game. He's been, even I saw him knock down a three the other day. His game just, is getting better every time we see him. And so I think that um, I think that he is ready. And I think, you know, the matchups that he's going to have in the East is going to be tough, but I think that Bam Adebayo is ready for that. Bam is my pick for most improved. Oh, yeah. It's either him or Tatum. Because Bam has just took his game to another level, which, which is insane to say, like, he he's only twenty three, yeah, and he's he's already he's already one of the best big men in the East, and one of the, he's a top ten big man in the league. Oh, absolutely! I mean, you saw the ease with which, and I know that the Heat weren't as high on Hassan Whiteside as they were when they had first gotten him, but I mean, you saw the ease with which they just gave him away, um, and it was looking back on it, it was like, well, yeah, the Blazers are trying to compete again next year. They need somebody because they're down. Now it almost looks more like the Heat might have been shopping him because Bam Adebayo looks so freaking good. I mean, you know, he, he is definitely everything that he was drafted for, and he fits the Heat team so well. I mean, you talk about, you know, that uh, just the mindset they play with, he fits it in every single aspect. And the thing with Hassan Whiteside, he was a stat chaser when he was in Miami. That's not oh, what they need. And then Bam Adebayo is complete opposite. Like he's willing to do whatever it takes to win. And that's like that—that's the kind of player that Eric Spolstra definitely wants on his team. And can we also just shout out Eric Spolstra? I feel like one of the most slept-on coaches in the league. I haven't. I mean. You got to think, he lost the big three in, what, 2014? Mm-hmm. And they haven't had a single sorry team since then, and he was left with basically, what, Wade? And he was Bosch left with an year. Wade, and Bosch got in. Bosch had health issues. Yeah, so, I, I mean, I, I just want to you – know, I think he doesn't get enough credit because, I mean – there was a point in time when he was basically given the free pass to his championships. But um, Eric Spolstra is as good a coach as they come. I, I think, you know, he's just – every single, you know, year, you know the Heat are going to have a team that is ready to go and do what it takes to win. Also, shout out to Pat Riley for being able to get Jimmy B in this on this team. Yeah. A lot of credit needs to be given to the Heat. Um, let's move on to another really, really exciting team in the bubble, shockingly. The Indiana Pacers, 43-27. and 27. I think the big name that everyone is talking about right now is T.J. Warren. Yeah. Wow. Has had one game out of five under 30 and came out of the gate dropping 53 on the Sixers. Um, dropped a 50 bomb 
on one of the better defensive teams. This yeah. one, and they had Simmons still at the point, at this point. Um, it is safe to say that um, T.J. Warren treated, you know, the hiatus as a full offseason because I have never seen him with this kind of confidence from the perimeter. Um, he was always a very good slasher, finisher. Um, and in my opinion, even before this, I thought that he had probably the best floater game in the NBA. Um, if you ever just watch it, I know now everyone's kind of, you know, starting to tune into it, but um, his floater game might be second to none. He can get it off from anywhere, and he has probably the best touch I've seen with the floaters out of anyone in the league almost. Uh, there's a couple guys that come close. Trey Young is one of them. But um, he get he can get it off from anywhere, and it even outside of the paint, he can hit deep floaters. His floater game is just crazy. But now he's got this jumper that he is not afraid of to sh- just let it fly from outside, and it looks pretty good. And even when you watch the shot, you can see the confidence in him. You know what I'm saying? It just looks like a confident shot, and even on a miss, it has me thinking it's going in. I, I think it's just safe to say that TJ Warren's in go mode right now. Oh, and yeah. he's he's just chucking it and they're going in. And he also saw an opportunity. I mean, the Pacers are struggling with as many injuries as they could possibly get. I mean, they you know, they were already wondering if Depot would play and then it turns into uh oh, he's gonna play and then as soon as that we find that out, Sabonis goes down. Um you know, definitely have been kind of getting the short end of the stick in a lot of areas. And so he's used all of this, you know, ruckus around him as an opportunity. And he's making the most of it for sure. All, all I know is this, this is a Pacers team that you don't want to mess with right now. They are on fire. They're the second hottest team in the bubble right now. Their only loss was to the hottest team in the Suns. And even yeah. then, that only came by 15 which for how, how good the Suns have been so far, that's that's not a bad deficit. Yeah. And but, then, uh, like, Sabonis is back now. And Victor Oladipo isn't what he was. But, but he's still playing Every game good. you watch him, yeah, he, every game you watch him play, he lo- is looking better and better. And then, of course, you have Malcolm Brogdon, who's one of the better Flat facilitators. Born. Yes. One like, he was on he was one of that he was one of those key pieces of Milwaukee that I they are dumb for letting him go. I, I think you know that's the thing that sucks about the NBA. You have to make so many uh, decisions that are based around the money, and for a team like Milwaukee that knows you have Giannis that's going to come up and you know become the highest paid player in the league as soon as that happens. Uh, you kind of have to start, you know, thinking about the money right now. And so I'm sure they would have loved to keep him. But, I mean, Indiana had no problem throwing a max bag at him. Oh, and no. it got I, him there, and it, that's their point guard now. I think Milwaukee would have been a lock for the East if they had Brogdon still. I think Brogdon is probably – if you want to talk about best point guards that you could build around for a winning team – He's got to be top five. Uh, I think he plays outstanding defense. 
He's a great facilitator. He can knock down the ball. He's not going to chase his own shots or his own stats or anything of that nature. Um, you know, he almost is a player like you could see him playing on the heat. You know what I'm saying? Like just that whole mindset, like just of a winning player. Like that is what he embodies. And I've really grown to respect Brogdon's game. I I couldn't agree more. Brogdon has been an absolute monster ever since he came into the league. He did come in as a 23-year-old, but that doesn't, that doesn't even matter. Like he run, He won rookie of the year. He's been an absolute stud. He was a second-round pick. No one yeah. expected him to be where he is right now. Not at all. I mean, everything that he's done, he's done it on his own. And, uh, you know, I have nothing for respect, nothing but respect for that guy. All right. Moving on to the Philadelphia 76ers. I feel so bad for this team. They're 42 and 27, 3 and 1. <sighs> ben Simmons going down absolutely yeah. kills them. That was the um, that was the 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 stone that broke the camel's back. But I will say first, I would not be surprised if, in some weird way, this kind of made them better. Am I crazy for thinking that? No, you're you're not. But because Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, I I. Still don't know if they're a perfect fit together because unless Ben Simmons develops an outside jumper, then I I don't know if they can play together. Yeah, (laughs) like he he needs a lane to drive, and Joel Embiid likes to sit in the lane at the post. Yeah, so I I think that you know this probably the injury for Ben Simmons probably spells doom for the Sixers. Um, but he is, it's he is just, one of the best defensive players in the league. Oh, but absolutely. Offensive wise, I offensive wise, he he is an outstanding finisher at the rim. Um, he is one of the best cre- sh- um, shot, not shot creators. He's one of the best passers in the league. Um, it, I think his vision, his vision and his height and stature and all of that gives me a lot of kind of LeBron James vibes um, in that for that aspect of his game. Now, not calling him LeBron James, but I think that if he wanted to be one day, he could be one of the closest things we see to LeBron. But I just – it's so weird that I could say all that about a player and still – I think in my gut, I really think that they'll play better without Simmons, and it's really weird for me to say that. I mean, Embiid has, has looked good. Yeah, he's been playing very well in the bubble. My my main question is, how how is Tobias Harris gonna play? I I love Tobias. I I don't know if he can keep this up though. He is going to have to be that offensive guy. You know, he's gonna have to be the. He's gonna. I, you know, a great comparison for what he's going to have to do is he's going to have to do what T.J. Warren is doing. Basically, exactly. I think if he can do that, then they could be still legit, a legit threat. But it's going gonna, it's gonna to be rough. They still need shooting, and I don't know where you get that at this point in the year. But it, it's going to take just 
a couple players to get hot, I guess. I agree. And also, I, I think they need to move Horford off the bench. Put yeah, in Mike now Scott. with the injury. Yeah. Because Mike Scott can give you a little bit of spacing. Yeah. And then Horford can be your facilitator off the bench. Because we all know Horford to be one of the best passing big men behind Jokic. Oh, absolutely. He's basically, you know, a point guard in the front court. He'll he'll find you when you're open and the pass is getting there. Um, let's move on to the Brooklyn Nets. This I I feel so bad for the Nets. They have like no one in the bubble. Yeah. Literally all of all of their key pieces. Besides Jared Allen. No, even Jared Allen's injured. Wow. I actually did not know they that. They have so many. Kyrie, KD, Wilson Chandler, DeAndre Jordan, Spencer Dinwiddie, Torian Prince. They picked up Jamal Crawford. He's injured. Joe Harris is injured. Jared Allen and Karis LeVert. That's literally like everyone they have. Then they picked up – They well, they tried to pick up uh, Beasley, and he had COVID-19. So, like this, they – the this Nets team. honestly shouldn't have been invited just because of what every one of their players is going through. I mean, they almost seem to be cursed right now. So I wouldn't want to chance anybody else getting picked up by that team if I was the league. But what do I know? But yet they still have somehow won a game. They like they beat Sacramento. That that shows you how bad Sacramento has been in this bubble. Sacramento, yeah. Granted, uh, they did still have Joe Harris and Karis LeVert and Jared Allen for that game. But, like, how do you lose to a team that literally has, like, no star whatsoever? I know Sacramento doesn't have a star. I mean, De'Aaron Fox can be considered a star. A rising star. I'd, I'd stretch that. A rising star, but not a star. But, yeah, I mean – the restart is, you know, kind of affecting every team a little different. The Nets are in probably the least envious position of all the teams that were invited. Um, I'd say even less than the Wizards. The Wizards have a couple of young players out there that they're, you know, just hoping to see some improvements and, you know, see what they really have in their tank. And the Nets are kind of out here fielding like a summer league team, you know? Oh wait, I'm sorry. I looked at the wrong thing. They're three and two. How are they three and two? Whoa! I was yeah. looking at Orlando. <laughs> wait, they. Whoa! I didn't even, hold on. Okay, this I didn't even realize they beat Milwaukee. I do actually remember that game. Now that you say that. Oh my god! I will say though, I checked it and. I don't think Giannis played, and I think Chris. that was the game that I was referring to where Chris Milton had a bad game. I kind of want to see this now. Hold up. I want to see this game now. Did Giannis play? I think Giannis played. I don't, I don't know if he played the full game, but I think he played. Really? Let me see. Yeah, Giannis played. He played 16 wow. minutes, but – Yeah, Chris Middleton played awful this game. That was the eight-point game. Yeah. Okay, yeah, like Brooklyn, there. I no, they're they're gonna get bounced first round. 
it's almost kind of sad that they have to uh, they have to they take have to a beating it. from Toronto. Yeah. Uh, moving on to the next team, this was a team I was so excited for, the Orlando Magic. They're thirty-two and thirty-eight, one and three in the bubble. It it just sucks. Jonathan Isaac going down with that torn ACL just really hurts my soul. Yeah, I, I'm a big Isaac fan. I I think that his I like since he came into the league. I think he's got some of the I think he's got one of the highest ceilings of anybody in the league. Um, you talk about somebody with you know a legit not maybe like weight and strength wise, but like a center's body with point guard skills. I mean, I love a lot of his game, especially like with the way the game is moving. These hybrid type players are becoming more and more valuable. But um, you know, you hate to see a torn ACL for him. It's he's not gonna be back until next year. The playoff, like he's not gonna be back until the twenty twenty two or the. It's going to be the 2021-2022 season. Yeah, it's just – it's a really tough break for that guy. I wish him a great and speedy recovery. Um, and I hope this doesn't, leave, you know, have any problems in the future of his career because um, I really like this guy. He's just – he's going to be a good one. But, it you know, obviously really hurts the Magic right because they were a fun team to at least watch. You know, you don't expect them to eight to one upset, but you expect a game to be stolen here or there versus the Bucks, maybe. And another crazy Isaac. thing, Marco Fultz has actually been playing pretty decent. Fultz is a problem. I've, I, I am a big Fultz fan. I never really lost faith in him uh, after all the struggles that he went through. I don't know what it was. I've heard, you know, it could be the, what he said it was, but I think it was something deeper than that. But um, I'm just glad he's back to playing basketball, you know. It's, it just feels good to see him out there. Also, this team almost beat Philly. Yeah. Yes, they didn't have Ben Simmons, but still, they almost beat Philly. Like, for how bad this Orlando Magic team is right now, like, Terrence Ross shot 0 for 10. Wow. And they still – they only lost by 7 to a to a winning record team. A well over 500 team. Yeah, and a team that, you know, had championship aspirations to start the season. So. But it – this – that whole Jonathan Isaac situation just – it hurts. I hope – I pray for a speedy recovery for him. I hope Orlando can hopefully get him back on the court by the beginning of the 2021-2022 season because he is he's electrifying. Absolutely. And I also, something we can't forget to mention, was the early season front runner for defensive player of the year. I mean, that wingspan of his, he creates a lot of problems on the defensive end. Definitely a player to watch out for as an exciting two-way player in the future. And moving on to the last bubble team. They shouldn't even be here anymore. They're already knocked out. The Washington Wizards. Yeah. Um, as, as, we're, <laughs> as we're recording right now, it's about to be halftime. OKC is up 61 to 48. Yeah. 
Um, they're they're about to be zero and five unless OKC somehow chokes this, which I don't think they would. But like this, I was so excited, and then Bradley Beal goes Bradley down, yeah. and that that just absolutely killed them. That Bradley Beal was literally their only really source of offense, and he goes down. Yeah. For the Wizards, they're in one of the weirdest uh, predicaments in basketball. I mean, you've got a player in Bradley Beal who probably could go for a trade, and you've got the enigma that is John Wall at this point. Will he ever play again? Um, I hope and he then, does with that $40 million contract. Yeah, and I'm sure that they're hoping the same exact thing too. And then other than that, you're kind of strapped out when it comes to young talent. You've got Thomas Bryant, who is definitely a serviceable center, um, you know, kind of a a 3 and D center, weirdly enough. And then you've got Rui Hachimura. And I like Rui a lot. Uh, I think his game has, you know, a couple steps to take to fit in more with the modern NBA or the way it's moving right now. Right now, I think he's a little too dependent on the mid-range, but – he looks really good from there. So I think that he could definitely keep that aspect of his game, but just step his range out a little bit more. And other than that, it's, is that still even then a playoff team? Probably, no. but are you going to, are you going to make any noise in the playoffs? No, absolutely not. So like they, they better hope for a fantastic lottery for them to get a top six pick. Because and even then, the where do they go? They, you know, like the only real hole is small forward. And then at that point, you just traded away Ubre two years ago and Otto Porter. Like, it makes no sense to me really what their plan or objective is. The Wizards are very dysfunctional right now. And I mean, it goes to show their own five in the bubble. Yep. Um, but that that wraps up the final team of the bubble. This this has been a long, long podcast, but oh my, there's 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 still more to cover. Like Absolutely. there's still three more games going on. Like there's there's still three more games to go, and then the whole playoff run. Like that's it's gonna be so much, and then football is right around the corner. Still not sure if the preseason's gonna go on or not. Um, but I think I, from the Berg is about to get is about to really get into some things because you know sports are right here they're coming back and if you guys are anything like us we could not be more excited to finally get to talk about them. <laughs> uh, next week I hope you all join us where we will most likely be going over that NFL top 100 list that had so many people in shock of Lamar being number one. And Pat Mahomes yeah. being number four, and there's just some questionable player people on that list, and players that should have been on the list and weren't. But I I hope you all enjoyed. Uh, I'm your host Jason Mitchner, joined alongside Ian Hatcher, and we'll see y'all next week. <laughs>